song kind of just drops us right in where we're going to be at today. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now while you're finding that, I just want to welcome you back to our series called At the Movies. We've been walking through the book of Ecclesiastes, looking at what Solomon um, wrote. Actually, he probably preached it. Somebody else probably wrote it down um, and exploring all of that using some movies to help us to highlight the themes of what it is that he's been talking about. Now, over the past few weeks, we've uh, worked our way through the first uh, two chapters of the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, if you're like me, you've probably slept since then, right? Or maybe today is your first week here in the series. And so if either one of those two things is the case for you, all right, let me just catch you up a little bit on what's gone on. So we open up chapter one, and Solomon makes this plea to the Israelites, and really to us too. And he says, listen, more than anything, I want you to remember. I want you to remember what it is that who, excuse me, who it is that you are. I want you to remember who it is that you are. Secondly, I want you to remember like what it is that you've come through. And finally, where it is that you're going. And so Solomon has this plea to the Israelites and to us to remember. And then uh, last week we saw that, um, excuse me, two weeks ago, we saw that Solomon took that plea and then moved forward to say, all right, with everything that's gone on, let me share my story with you. My story of a search for fulfillment in life, the meaning of life. And he began that pursuit with wisdom. And we talked about that there are two different kinds of wisdom that show up in the book of Ecclesiastes. The one that's overtly mentioned is this idea of what's under the sun. And Solomon uses wisdom that is under the sun. In other words, everything that we have as a part of the human perspective, our human ability to understand things that exist around us. But that's in contrast with that wisdom which is above the sun, which at the end of the book Solomon comes back to and he says, listen, we cannot quite fathom all of the things that God fathoms and understands. And so wisdom failed Solomon, the wisest man ever, and his wisdom, wisdom under the sun, wasn't enough to find meaning and fulfillment in life. And so he turned. He turned from that wisdom. He didn't forsake it, but he said, here's what I'm going to begin to do. I'm going to pursue every pleasure and every passion that exists in the world. And so last week, we saw him begin to chase after those different passions, but all of those failed him as well. 
pleasure was not where it was found out. He couldn't find it in wine. He couldn't find it in wealth. He couldn't find it in women. And let me tell you, he tried. He couldn't find it in any of those things. In fact, he even circled back to wisdom for the purpose of pleasure, and he couldn't find it there either. Well, Solomon's going to continue his pursuit, but today he takes a break from that. And today he has this poem in chapter 3 that is probably and has been debated as being one of the most well-known poems in all of the Bible. Now, not everybody sitting here would have known that this is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, but in some fashion or form, most people have heard that there is a season for everything. It gets quoted in movies. It gets quoted in songs like the song that you heard just a moment ago. It gets used at funerals. It's one of the most popular passages for all of that. And you know, after everything that we've read, after everything we've seen with Solomon, we kind of come at this moment with some expectations about a time for things. You know, I, I think that we probably would expect him to say something more like, time is fleeting, right? It, you never can have enough time to be able to do all the things that man wants to do. That seems like something Solomon might have said after all of the moments that he's led up to at this moment. Or perhaps, perhaps he could have talked about the tyranny of time. How it's always holding you down. It just seems to always click away one second after another second after another second. And you can never seem to grab onto and hold onto the time that's there. It's always escaping. It's always going away. And it's constant. And it beats down on us. But that's not what Solomon says. Solomon, if you have found it, he says this in verse 1. He says, For everything there is a season, and there is a time for every matter under heaven. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would grasp this picture of who it is that you are. And some of what Solomon understood and in the pursuit of his wisdom, what he pauses to begin to impart. God, may it sink into our lives and may it affect how we view things all the time. God, we give you glory and honor and praise. And it's your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. They say it's gone. Say Now tell me why you're too sick to work and it better be good. Rita, I'm reliving the same day over and over. 
Groundhog Day today. Okay, I'm waiting for the punchline. No, really, this is the third time. It's like yesterday never happened. I am racking my brain, but I can't even begin to imagine why you'd make up something like this. I'm not making it up. I am asking you for help. Okay, what do you want me to do? I don't know. You're a producer. Come up with something. You want my advice? I think you should get your head examined if you expect me to believe a stupid story like that, Phil. That's an unusual problem, uh, Mr. Connors. Uh, most of my work is with couples, families. I have an alcoholic now. Well, you went to college, right? I mean, it wasn't veterinary psychology, was it? Didn't you take some kind of course that covered this stuff? Yeah, sort of, I guess. Uh, abnormal psychology. So, what do I do? I think we should meet again. How's tomorrow for you? Is that not good? Let me ask you guys a question. Shoot. What if there were no tomorrow? No tomorrow? That would mean there would be no consequences. There would be no hangovers. We could do whatever we wanted. Ah! That's true. We could do whatever we want. Hey, Phil, if we wanted to hit mailboxes, we could let Ralph drive. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, hey, Phil. Oh, I think they want you to stop. Hang on. It's the same thing your whole life. Clean up your room, stand up straight, pick up your feet, take it like a man. Be nice to your sister. Don't mix beer and wine, ever. Oh, yeah. Don't drive on the railroad tracks. Oh, Phil, that's one I happen to agree with. Sometimes I think you just have to take the big chances. I'm betting he's gonna swear first. Right? Which we get the word chronological from. It's that idea of duration, of seconds leading to minutes, leading to hours, leading to days, to months, to years, and to decades and centuries. Chronos, it goes on 
and on and on. But there's a second word that the Greek used, and it's the word that's used here in this passage over and over and over again, and that is kairos. And kairos, instead of being that duration of time, views time as an opportunity. And so kairos is in the divine economy that this, this idea that there is a suitable occasion or an appropriate opportunity for everything that happens. You know, some have taken that Solomon's poem here is incredibly fatalistic. In other words, he writes this in a moment where he's just looking and waiting to die because there's nothing that he could possibly do about it. Nothing that he does matters and he can't possibly change the outcome. But I don't think that that's what Solomon is doing here. In fact, I think much more that Solomon seems to be saying that there is a fitness, a rightness to the things that is happening and about what is happening. And catch this, a right biblical understanding, right? A right biblical understanding of time and its place in the life of the believer, of the Jesus follower, begins with the sovereignty of God. It begins with the sovereignty of God. Now, I say that, but it's also interesting that in these first eight verses, God is not mentioned anywhere. You say, well, how, how in the world could you possibly know or understand that he might be thinking about that God is sovereign over all of those things? Well, here's why. Because while it might be interesting that God is not mentioned, it's also interesting that there are 14 pairs that are mentioned in those first eight verses. Now, I happen to be one of those guys that I love Bible numbers. I love when they show up. And this is one of those places where they show up because the divine number, the number of God, the number of perfection, the number of completeness is seven. And we have two sets of seven, a set of perfection and a set of completion. And the whole of human experience happens between these pairs. You have human existence, birth to death. You have human emotion, laughter to mourning. You even have the entirety of human engagement, war and peace. In other words, Solomon is saying that God is over all of time and everything that happens in it. To put it simply, God does everything at just the right time. I'm sorry, what was that again? I'm a God. You're a God. I'm a God, I'm not the God, I don't think. Because you survived a car wreck? You folks ready to order? I didn't just survive a wreck. I wasn't just blown up yesterday. I have been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung, electrocuted, and burned. Oh, really? And every morning I wake up without a scratch on me, not a dent in the fender, I am an immortal. Special today is blueberry waffles. Why are you telling me this? Because I want you to believe in me. You're not a god. You can take my word for it. This is 12 years of Catholic school talking. 
I could come back if you're not ready. How do you know I'm not a god? <laughs> oh, please. How do you know? Because it's not possible. I'll come back. Doris. This is Doris. Her brother-in-law, Carl, owns this diner. She's worked here since she was 17. More than anything else in her life, she wants to see Paris before she dies. Oh, boy, what a... What are you doing? This is Debbie Kleiser and her fiance Fred. Do I know you? They're supposed to be getting married this afternoon, but Debbie is having second thoughts. What? Lovely ring. This hey. is Bill. He's been a waiter for three years since he left Penn State and had to get work. He likes the town, he paints toy soldiers, and he's gay. I am. <laughs> this is Gus. He hates his life here. He wishes he stayed in the Navy. Well, I could have retired on half pay after 20 years. Excuse me? Is this some kind of trick? Well, maybe the real God uses tricks. You know, maybe he's not omnipotent. He's just been around so long. He knows everything. Oh, okay. Well, who's that? This is Tom. He worked in the coal mine until they closed it down. And her? It's Alice. Came over here from Ireland when she was a baby. She lived in Erie most of her life. He's right. And her? And Nancy. She works in the dress shop and makes noises like a chipmunk when she gets real excited. Hey! It's true. How do you know these people? I told you, I know everything. In about five seconds, a waiter's gonna drop a tray of dishes. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay? Okay, that's enough. What about me, Phil? Do you know me, too? I know all about you. You like producing, but you hope for more than Channel 9 Pittsburgh. Well, everyone knows that. You like boats, but not the ocean. You go to a lake in the summer with your family up in the mountains. There's a long wooden dock and a boathouse with boards missing from the roof in a place you used to crawl underneath to be alone. You're a sucker for French poetry and rhinestones. You're very generous. You're kind to strangers and children. And when you stand in the snow, you look like an angel. How are you doing this? I told you, I wake up every day right here, right in Punxsutawney, and it's always February 2nd. And there's nothing I can do about it. If you still can't believe me, listen. In, in 10 seconds, Larry is going to come through that door and take you away from me. But you can't let him. Larry. Please believe me. You've got to believe me. You guys ready? We better get going if we're going to stay ahead of the weather. What's that? We're going to stay ahead of the weather. Maybe it really is happening. I mean, how else could you know so much? Well, there is no way. I'm not that smart. Maybe I should spend the rest of the day with you as an objective witness, just to see what happens. Gee, this sounds like a science project. <laughs> Concentrate. You gotta want it. You gotta want it, Rita. Oh, come on. It's, it's more in the wrist than the finger. It's just gotta... Be the hat. Come on, go. Be the hat. It would take me a year to get good at this. No, six months. Four to five hours a day, and you'd be an expert. Is this what you do with eternity? Now you know. That's not the worst part. What's the worst part? The worst part is that tomorrow you will have forgotten all about this, and you'll treat me like a jerk again. No. 
It's all right. I am a jerk. No, you're not. That doesn't make any difference. I've killed myself so many times. I don't even exist anymore. Well, sometimes I wish I had a thousand lifetimes. I don't know, Phil. Maybe it's not a curse. It just depends on how you look at it. Gosh, you're an upbeat lady. <laughs> I want you to know it's been a really nice day for me. Me too. And maybe, if it's not too boring, we could do it again sometime. I hope so. You're still here. Oh, I thought you were supposed to disappear, or I was, or something. Not until six. Oh, you rat! <laughs> I never said midnight. <laughs> you knew I was waiting for midnight. Does this mean you're gonna leave? Oh, no. Good. This is the moment where the whole movie kind of turns. For, for up to this point, Phil has lived outside of the rules and the roles of both Kronos and Kairos. And he really couldn't find any end to it. He tried. He felt like maybe everything was meaningless. You know, Solomon, after acknowledging that God is sovereign over time, he returns to the subject of what it is that man is supposed to do, work. And he asks the question, he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? You see, in his ongoing quest to find meaning in life, Solomon asks the question, what kind of return should I get? What kind of return should somebody else get on their time and their effort? He takes it one step further and he says that it's not just about his own investment, but it seems to be about others because he says, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And it may seem that Solomon would be aiming at a no or nothing. It's not good for any of that. But I want you to look at the very next verse with me because right after he says what gain has the worker for his toil in the business, he says that he, or God, has made everything beautiful in its time. That's a pretty strong affirmation of God's goodness, right? You know, some people, some people may resent God's control over time and eternity. They would much rather set their own agenda, what it is that they would do as a opposed to what it is that God would do. But Solomon says that there is a beauty. There is a beauty in God's sovereignty over everything. You know, I think Solomon's frustration is found in the next verse. He says, also, he, that being God, has put eternity into man's heart. Yet, even so, he, that being man, cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You see, whereas God has a complete view 
you and I only have a point of view. Our limited perspective is unable to span the mind, the mind of God. And let's be honest, that doesn't just bother Solomon, right? That bothers all of us. Because we're searching for meaning. We want to know what is the meaning of our life and this life and about the things that happen in the world around us and our limited perspective and our limited point of view is so small in comparison to God. I love what John Jarek said. He said it this way. He said, the human being has eternity in his heart, but the creator has made him a thinking being. And because of that, he wants to pass beyond his fragmentary knowledge and discern the fuller meaning of the whole pattern. But the, cre- but the creator will not let the creature be his equal. And that's it. There is the frustration right there. And even if we begin to acknowledge that God's timing is perfect and that there is a time for everything we want to know what time it is hello father let's get you someplace warm yeah yeah remember me Sir, are you the one who brought the old man in? Mm-hmm. How's he? Well, he just passed away. What did he die of? He was just old. It was just his time. I want to see his chart. Excuse me. Uh, sir. Sir, you can't come in here. Sir, this is a restricted area. When Chekhov saw the long winter, he saw a winter bleak and dark and bereft of hope. Yet we know that winter is just another step in the cycle of life. But standing here among the people of Punxsutawney and basking in the warmth of their hearths and hearts, I couldn't imagine a better fate 
than a long and lustrous winter. From Punxsutawney, it's Phil Connors. So long. Nice speech, Phil. Very nice. Thank you. Thanks. How was that for you, too? Hey, man. You touched me. Thanks, Larry. Thank you. I gotta go. Okay? Phil, mm. that was surprising. I didn't know you were so versatile. I surprise myself sometimes. Well, where are you going? Would you like to get a cup of coffee? I'd love to. Can I have a rain check? I've got some errands I've got to run. Okay? Well, Phil, errand, errands? What errands? I thought we were going back. Tomorrow, maybe. Oh. Oh. No, You've told it. No. It's only a flat tire. Well, how does you get it? Nothing, ma'am. I had the tie around the jack. Just be comfortable, all right? Give me a minute. Who is that? Like me from the motor club. Oh, my God, he is having a heart attack. Do that, something. What can I do? Mom, Mom, Mom I don't think he's breathing. Mom. Oh, my God. If you're gonna eat steak, get some sharper teeth, all right? <laughs> Enjoy your lunch. It's that nice young man from the Motor Club. Thank you again. It's nothing, ladies. He's the fastest Jack in Jefferson County. What was that all about? I really don't know. They've been hitting on me all night. There you are. I never thanked you properly for what you did for Buster. Well, he would have choked for sure. Well, he may have. He was trying to swallow a whole cow. <laughs> I owe you one, buddy. Hang on to him, dear. He's a real find. <laughs> what did you do today? Oh, same old, same old. Excuse me, Mr. Connors. Hey, Fred, how was the wedding? Well, I just wanted to thank you for making Debbie go through with it and everything. All I did was fan the flame of her passion for you, Fred. <laughs> you are the best. No, you are the best. Rita, this is Debbie and Fred Kleiser. Hi. Here you go, kids. Congratulations. What is this? No way. No way. WrestleMania! No way! No way! We're like going to be in Pittsburgh anyway. Thank you, Mr. Connors. You're a real pal. Oh, this is the best. <laughs> I don't understand. Uh, yeah, I guess not. How does everyone know you? I mean, you only come here once a year, and you, you seem like the most popular person in town. Excuse me? Yes. Dr. Connors? Yes. I want to thank you for fixing Felix's back. Oh. He can even help around the house again. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, Felix. <laughs> <laughs>
Dr. Connors? It's kind of an honorary title. What is going on? I really don't know. No, there is something going on with you. Would you like the long version or the short one? Let's start with the short and go from there. So Phil decided to quit using his time for himself and instead to transform the lives of those that were around him. Solomon at the end of this chapter writes, he says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, that's all of humanity, to be, to do, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. So what are we supposed to do with our time, with our opportunities? Right, the way that we spend our time is really the way that we're going to spend our lives. And it should be an opportunity for us to serve God. I wouldn't be a very good preacher if I didn't give you some, something to grab on to walk out with as, as we go. A few practical ways to do this. So let me just give you three. I'm Baptist, all right? Let me just give you three practical things to apply. Number one, learn to wait for God's timing. Learn to wait for God's timing. If it's true that God is sovereign over time and that Jesus makes perfect use of time, then we should trust God to know the right time for everything. You know, some of the times that were on Solomon's list are absolutely beyond our control. Life and death, war and peace and the truth is, most of us would rather manage all of our own agendas, and it certainly would make us quick to criticize how God uses time. But instead of getting impatient or pushing ahead of God's time table, we need to hurry up and wait on God. Here's the second thing. Learn to ask what time it is. Learn to ask what time it is. Without a doubt, time is the most precious commodity that we have. And it's probably the most difficult thing we have to manage. We all have the same amount of time in a day, right? 24 hours in a day, seven days a week, same number of seconds. God doesn't always give us the same opportunities in our days. The Bible tells us this in Ephesians 5.16. It says that we should make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, some of you, I know that you're King James fans in the room, and I don't use a lot of King James in here, but I'm going to do it for just a moment. Because the King James says it's redeeming the time that you have because the days are evil. And the New International Version says it this way. It says that we should make the most of every opportunity. The only way that we could possibly redeem time, the only way that we could make the most of every opportunity is through wise decision-making and following of the Holy Spirit. If God is the one who is perfect with perfect timing, 
And if Jesus is the one who made perfect use of time, then why would they not give us a helper whose design is for us to redeem the opportunities that God has given to us? He has. But we have to ask. We have to ask what time it is so that we can make the most of the time that God has given us. Here's the last one. We need to learn to live with the end in sight. Solomon not only says that God placed eternity into the hearts of man, but at the very end of the chapter, he talks about the fact that men and animals both go, they come from dust, and to dust they return. When we take those two things together, we understood that Solomon knew that we were all mortal. We're not immortal. There is an end in sight. It will happen one day. And so the question becomes for us, how does that change what we're doing today when we begin to view the end in sight? You know, there's a, an author, his name is Stephen Foster. He wrote a book called the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. One of the things that he says in that is he says, if you want to know how to get to your end destination, you start with the end in mind. Because if you don't know what the end is, you'll never know if you missed it. And that's so true for us as people. Because if we begin to walk through our time, chronos, without any sort of end in sight, an end in mind, then all of the kairos, the opportunities that comes our way, we're going to miss them and it's all going to seem meaningless. But when we get the picture We understand that God placed eternity inside of our hearts so that we might find Him and be with Him. It changes the meaning of this life. Now some of you that are sitting out there, some of you maybe have never made that choice. You're saying, you know what, I've never stopped and put the end in sight about what's affecting my today and my tomorrow. Here's the other thing about when you put the end in sight. What if there isn't a tomorrow? I don't need to be fatalistic with you for a moment, but what if there isn't a tomorrow? You're not guaranteed one. I'm not guaranteed a tomorrow. We're only guaranteed today and right now that we're in and experiencing God's blessings. And he says, I don't want you to wait till tomorrow to get something that's eternal taken care of. The first step in making an eternal impact with all of your opportunities is to make the choice to say, Jesus is the one who's king of my life, the one who's in charge of everything. It's the first eternal decision that you can make that has eternal ramifications across your entire life. Life and allows for you to take other opportunities to make eternal impact. If that's you, you're sitting here and you say, you know what, I've never 
done that. I've never surrendered my life and said, I give up the control of all of this thing for your meaning and not for mine. Then I want to invite you today, don't walk out these doors. Don't walk out of the gate without saying yes. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would all have that eternal question settled in our our hearts and our minds before we leave today. God, if there's anybody that's here that hasn't, God, I pray that they would be willing to have a conversation just to stop me in the back and say, I don't know my eternal answer. Or to say, I just want to say yes to Jesus. God, that's why you have placed us here for that purpose, for that eternity, that eternal question. And God, I pray that we could make eternal impacts by the things that we're doing, that we would seize the opportunities that you've placed around us. All for the purpose of your glory. God, we just continue to give you glory and honor as we get ready to worship through our tithes and our offerings. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.